interested in taking a deep dive each week into a compliance or compliance-related topic? Then Compliance Into the Weeds is the podcast for you. Join Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, and Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, as they go into the weeds to flesh out a story which you can use to better inform your compliance program. Both you and your compliance program will be the better for listening to this podcast. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. In this, our first episode of 2021, Matt and I take a look at five trends, issues, or other items that compliance practitioners need to follow in 2021. It's a fascinating exploration of what lies down the road. I know you'll enjoy it. Hello, Tom. It's good to be here. And you are right. I'm glad that we can start off 2021 with this experiment in the new tech. Let's hope it works. I even put on a nice shirt for the first time probably in about six months. So (laughs) here we go. So, Matt, uh, one of the things I've learned working with you over the years is you tend not to take a retrospective look back, but you do take look forwards, looks forward. And you've done that in the first blog post for this year where you took a look at uh, five uh, different topics that you thought compliance officers ought to keep an eye on in uh, 2021. Uh, Why don't you go through them and then we'll take a deep dive into them? Yeah, sure. So I do try and do this every year with sometimes more than five, uh, sometimes as many as 10 Uh, This year, there was a lot to write about, so my choices were either to include them all and have something as long as the Bible, or just keep it short. So I picked five, and these are the five issues or events that I think will affect compliance officers where we should be watching them. Um, Not in any particular order, but uh, certainly the first one is going to be vaccinations for COVID and the return to work by far and away, that is going to be the biggest thing we have to deal with. Uh, We can talk about that. Um, Second off is actually the first time we have ever had a compliance event to watch for the year that has already happened would be the Anti-Money Laundering Act that uh, the Congress enacted on January 1st. So that was the bill that Congress overrode President Trump's veto of a defense sending bill, but AMLA, the Anti-Money Laundering Act, was been folded into the defense bill. So that is now law. And that is the bill that now law that will outlaw the use of anonymous shell companies. Uh, it also creates a whistleblower program for Bank Secrecy Act violations that I think compliance and internal audit executives should pay a lot of attention to because you could conceivably uh, take advantage of that program much more than other whistleblower programs. Um, The next thing that I would like to see, this is a little bit imprecise, but at some point this spring, we are going to see the first Biden administration announcement. And I don't even know what exactly that's going to be. It might be an enforcement action. It might be some sort of policy pronouncement or a speech from the deputy secretary of whatever from the administration. Uh, But at some point soon, we are going to see that the Biden administration is shedding more light on its approach to corporate regulation and uh, prosecution of corporate misconduct. Clearly, it's going to be very different than the Trump administration. So I'm just curious to see what is it going to be? What could we learn from that? Uh, The fourth thing that I think we should keep an eye on is climate change disclosure. Clearly, the Biden administration is going to want to do more on climate change at the executive branch. Congress is talking about tackling climate change in the legislative branch. 
Um, I suspect we are going to see more pressure for companies to disclose more precisely and more fulsomely their climate change costs and risks and exposures. Uh, and we can get into what that would look like. Um, fifth is this, I think, Tom, is one of the sleeper issues at the end of 2020. This happened. We haven't really talked much about it, but I think in 2021, we're going to see a lot of repercussions from the solar winds cybersecurity hack. That is the big thing that the Russians ran against the federal government and corporate America through solar winds, which provided IT services and software to a large swath of large organizations. And it is difficult to overstate how severe this cybersecurity attack was. Um, this actually, I posted my top five already earlier today, and the solar winds attack has gotten more comments and feedback than anything else so far. And a lot of people in security are saying, no, this is an enormous deal. And this is going to have real repercussions um, in how government buys software, in how companies govern their software, in how the government might regulate use of software and third parties for government contractors. We could see new laws. It could go on and on. Um, so how would the solar winds attack reverberate throughout 2021. I think that's going to be the big deal. Tom, I have a bonus one that I'm going to save until the very end because it's something a bit more fun and personal for compliance officers. But those are the top five real ones that I have for this year. We could probably talk for quite a long time about any of them. Matt, there's a uh, Sean Axi Axios, I believe, called um, Top 10 uh, Revealed. And it's about top 10 singles or songs from one particular year, one particular genre. But one of the segments is songs that uh, didn't make the top 10. Yep. So were there any uh, stories or issues or things that compliance officers should watch that didn't make your top five, I should say? I, I had a bunch that didn't make my top five. And we can talk about those uh, as well. Um, I think that reform of Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act is a sleeper issue for a lot of businesses. Uh, for those of you not familiar with it, Section 230 is that part of the communications law that gives an exemption to internet service providers and social media companies from lawsuits for dumb things people post online. If I am offended by that, if it's false, if it's defamatory or something, and I wanna sue somebody for something stupid said online, I have to sue the person, I can't sue Facebook or Twitter or Pinterest or Comcast or TripAdvisor or Yelp or any of the other hosting services for posting that nutty thing that I disagree with. Now, Section 230 has become this sort of shield that lets also uh, disinformation and falsehoods live online. So a lot of people are saying that Section 230 should be amended Republicans say that they want it repealed because they think it allows companies to uh, do some sort of censorship of online opinions. None of what the Republicans say there is really true uh, for different reasons we could get into. I would watch Section 230, especially if I'm in social media or Internet service of some kind. But I think a lot of businesses might want to keep an eye on who can sue what for saying or doing what online. That's of interest. Um, Another issue would be related to climate change disclosures, human capital disclosures, and diversity disclosures. Same thing, different issue. 
would we see the Biden administration press for more detailed and fulsome disclosure of your diversity efforts and equity at your company, which if you disclose it more, that will give investors more information to press you, the company, to change whatever, uh, your approach to climate change, if we're talking about climate change disclosure. Uh, for for uh, human capital disclosure, it would be more about um, looking at pay equity across gender lines, across racial lines, um, or promotion advancements or hiring policies. We can't pressure companies to change that unless we know what they're actually doing. And so will we see the Biden administration or even Congress enact um, rules, laws, whatever, to provide more disclosure around human capital? Uh, the EU data services law was the one from the Europe that I thought about and I didn't make it. Uh, the data services law would be kind of like the GDPR on steroids. That's how I've seen it described. And also really make it difficult to do business online because all of that stuff I just said about Section 230 and liability for things that other people say on your website, like the data services law is going to get rid of those kind of protections entirely. So when will the EU data services law come into effect? Who knows? It's the EU. It might not go into effect until the sun goes red giant and incinerates the earth in five billion years. It's not unusual for EU laws, but uh, it could come about very quickly because the EU does have a lot of ambitions around governing data services. That gets to the U.S. tech giants, Google, Facebook, in Twitter, Apple, Amazon, all of them. Um, they could really be affected by the data services law. So that's three more here that I have in my notes, plus the five. That got me to eight. Tom, if you got two more of your own, we can get us to 10. But that's what else is on my radar screen. So uh, I think this one probably should not have made the, the top five, but I, uh, I've i been thinking about it quite a bit. And that's Tom Sporkin being appointed to the director of enforcement at the CFPB. They created a new uh, position for Tom. Tom is uh, the son of Stanley Sporkin, but more importantly for Tom, he was part of the SEC team that drafted the regulations around Dodd-Frank. He was heavily involved in uh, drafting the whistleblower regulations that were overturned by the Supreme Court. He is uh, very aggressive about protecting whistleblowers, and he's, uh, I think, has an aggressive tone around enforcement as well, and uh, much like his father did. So uh, if we start to see sort of uh, aggressive enforcement people posted into these positions, uh, I think we could see a lot more uh, aggressive enforcement. And, and that typically may not make the headlines for some of the, the major cases, but it could certainly portend, uh, as as I learned last night on a phone call, lawyers having a lot more work going forward. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Well, Tom, I was going to ask you a question. What do you think about any potential changes to FCPA enforcement? Which I'm skeptical that we're going to see any big sea change where we have to scramble to reevaluate our whole compliance philosophy. But what's your analysis? So, Matt, uh, over the past 10 years and maybe even longer, I guess longer, we've seen consistent enforcement by uh, the fraud section, by the FCPA unit under a variety of administrations. George W. Bush, uh, Barack Obama, and now uh, President Trump. And the uh, I think we've seen a fairly aggressive enforcement. The uh, Rod Rosenstein, uh, not his memo, but the FCPA corporate enforcement policy enshrined uh, a possibility or rather 
um, a declination as the default position. But those discussions had been going on within the department, uh, I'm aware of, as far back as 2012. What sort of credit to give? How to, how to give it? Should it be a full declination? Should it be a partial credit? So I think those discussions have been ongoing. And where Rosenstein uh, shook it out with the FCPA corporate enforcement that a declination was the default position, I think would be consistent with uh, the way the department will move forward. I think the monitorship issue may be revisited. Uh, that was fairly dramatically cut back by the Benchkowski memo. And I think many people scratched their heads around the Goldman Sachs uh, enforcement action, which did not have a monitor. Uh, although I would certainly point out that the Goldman Sachs actions, which led to no monitorship, were completely consistent with the procedure laid out in the Benchkowski memo to avoid a monitor. So mm. that might be something. But uh, I would agree with you that I don't think we'll see any major change. I cannot see really any uh, congressional action to, to change the FCPA uh, unless there's uh, something around the definition of agency or maybe some technical um, uh, cleanup that uh, some people might want. I think the for perhaps the bigger thing for me was this, I think you wrote about this, this past year was the domestic corruption actions that we saw. State yep. of Illinois, with Con Ed, with uh, First Energy in the state of Ohio, with Novartis, who had a $265 million FCPA fine, but a $765 million domestic corruption fine in the False Claims Act. So there may be more focus on uh, domestic uh, corruption uh, going forward under this administration. You know, this is speculation on my part, but if the Democrats take the Senate, and Tom and I, we are recording this on Monday, January 4th. So we don't know if the Democrats will win in Georgia and give them control of the Senate. But I could envision a scenario where Democrats controlling both chambers of Congress enact some sort of anti-corruption reform that would address that at a national level. Like, as I understand this right now, it's kind of catch as catch can on what are the facts in a particular jurisdiction and does the U.S. attorney there want to pursue it? Is it a state AG? But there's a lot of variation, which we don't have in the FCPA. So if we saw a DCPA in the United States, you know, would that change things? And when would we ever see that? Well, if Democrats ran the show in Washington, that's when we would see the potential for a law like that. I don't know if it would come along, but you know, I wonder about those kind of things. So if I could add just one more to, to round us up for a top five and a five that almost made the top five, I would take your climate change, expand it to include your human capital, um, but also uh, expand it to include a broader ESG component, uh, including sustainability. Because I think all of those really wrap into something that starts with climate change moves to the human capital component, and then it, it, it's something broader, uh, basically around uh, moving from disaster recovery uh, to business continuity to business as usual. How can you prepare for the unknown unknowns uh, if you don't have a robust process in place in that process to deal with uh, many of the challenges that have come about or came about in 2020? And I think we'll see uh, on a go-forward basis. You know, one issue I would pick up on there, because I think it touches on a deeper thing, is that I wouldn't be surprised if we see the Securities and Exchange Commission and other agencies in the Biden administration and potentially legislation in Congress getting 
to a broader idea of what corporate disclosure matters to investors anyways. And what am I talking about? Well, for example, we saw the Labor, admin, the Labor Department in the Trump administration at the end of 2020, they passed a new rule that said pension plans cannot make investment decisions based upon um, ESG factors, really. Like you can't say, I want to invest in this company because I like climate change. And the Labor Department struck that down, saying that it really doesn't show any material financial interest. Now, that's not true. There's lots of studies that show investing in socially conscious businesses produce greater financial returns over the long term. But put that aside, there are these conflicting views about what matters to investors anyways. And is it purely financial gain or are there these other more qualitative factors around supporting diversity? working for a better climate, um, other sort of pay equity, or I don't know what else. But there's another view out there that says that sort of thing is important for investors to know, so it should be disclosed. And as soon as we say this has got to be disclosed, well, now there are frameworks, there are policies to uh, develop, there is data to be collected, there's um, disclosure controls to test and all this other fun stuff. We all went through this with Sarbanes-Oxley and controls and disclosures for accounting information in the early 2000s, 20 years later, are we going to go through something like that because we have redefined what important stuff to be disclosed to investors that is? Um, Republicans hate that idea. They have been against it for the last four years. Starting January 20th, they're not going to be in charge of the government anymore. So I'll be curious to see if the Biden administration tries to reshape that. But Tom, I think you touch on a a deeper issue that we all should be thinking about. So let's go back to maybe your, your original top five. There's a couple of points I wanted to, to raise for discussion. And the one that struck me the most compliance related uh, was solar winds. Yeah. And as you explained in your post, this is really about supply chain risk management. Um, yeah. And that is directly in the wheelhouse of compliance. And if it's not in your company, it should be, and it's going to be going forward. So I wonder if you might have a few thoughts about supply chain risk management and how that ties into solar wind and the bigger discussion of cybersecurity. Uh, I think that this is going to be, you know, there's an old statement out there that even a kick in the ass is a step forward. This is not a kick. This is, I, I don't know what it is, uh, you know, a bazooka blow to the rear end. And it is going to prod, I think, first, the Pentagon and the Defense Department to take vendor due diligence and cybersecurity down the supply chain of government contractors. They're going to take that much more seriously. They've been trying to take it seriously for the last several years. It has been a struggle. There is a cybersecurity maturity model that uh, is in version 1.0 of development right now with the Pentagon. Um, I think turn that up to 11 after this because this was really the big screw up and it was all over the government. Um, if you are somebody who is a government contractor and you have any sort of confidential, unclassified information, CUI, pronounced QE, and it's the legitimate term that they use in government contracting. It's not classified intel, which is a whole other level of security we can get into some other day. But if you are collecting unclassified information, but it's still important. There is a ton of extra security stuff that the government wants you to do. I think that we are going to see more material 
be treated as confidential when it historically wasn't. And we're going to see the government say, and we want even more security for it. One of the things that was apparently stolen because it was only confidential, unclassified intel from the energy industry were the U.S. government's plans to reboot the power system if we had a nationwide blackout. Um, that is, There's a thing. There's a plan. I don't know what it is, but I know it's there. It strikes me that that should be you know, classified safe somewhere. But anyways, the Russians got it. And you're going to see more and more, I think, the Pentagon and quickly followed by other business, uh, other government agencies saying, you want to do business with us. You can't have what happened with solar winds where they provided software to somebody else who then provided it to somebody else. And now it's in a cloud service provider. And then boom, suddenly the Russians are in your back door and stealing all your data. That's not going to happen. You government contractor, you need to do much better on that. We're going to see a lot of that kind of conversation coming in 2021. And even if the government didn't do anything, which under a second Trump administration in some parallel universe, I'm sure Trump wouldn't have done anything because it's Russia. But here, uh, even if this government did nothing, the corporations are going to do something because they were fleeced blind, too. So all of the boards, all of the CISOs are going to be flipping out that they need to solve this software supply chain issue right away before the Russians rob them blind a second time. Um, we don't even know that the solar winds attack is over. We don't know what they stole. We don't know that they're not stealing still more right now. We don't know what they left behind. Like I said before, it is difficult to overstate how disastrous the attack was. And everybody, everybody is going to respond to this because the government and corporate America both have a strong imperative to respond to this right now. So that's going to like that's going to get responded because so many interests are are there that we have to get our ducks together. Now, let me ask you about your point on the Biden administration and an initial announcement. Um, do you really think that the president or his advisors would really point towards whatever the first announcement is to set the tone? Is that something you've seen in, in prior administrations or is it something else going on? No, I think that we're going to have to look for it and we're going to have to be able to say, ah, there it is. Um, for example, a deputy attorney general or an associate deputy attorney general or deputy associate attorney general, whichever one it is, um, the assistant attorney general for the criminal division, somebody who then stands up and talks about the importance of FCPA compliance. If he or she says, um, we are going to leave the corporate enforcement policy in place, that's one thing. If they stand up and say, we need to do much better about this, that's something else. Um, if we see the Securities and Exchange Commission take some really interesting new interpretations on accounting controls for enforcement, which we kind of sort of saw at the end of 2020 and some other time, Tom, we could uh, talk about those cases. But if we increasingly expand the range of misconduct that could get tripped up in an internal controls action, how would we find that out? Well, it Probably a Biden SEC would make some sort of enforcement announcement. It might look boring in the headline, but you'd have to read it and see, aha, there it is. This is something new. I don't know where, when and where it's going to happen. I don't know who's going to say it. I don't know if it's a press release or a speech. But something out there is going to happen within the first four or five months to give us a clue about what a new sheriff in town really is going to do. I've taken a... Uh, deep dive this week into the uh, new anti-money laundering law of 2020. 
And uh, I think you're absolutely spot on that this is going to be a huge sea change. It's the First Amendment to the Bank Secrecy Act since the uh, Patriot Act of 2001. And it really plugs a lot of holes. You talked about uh, shell corporations, but it go really good and uh, whistleblower provisions, but it goes into uh, regulating things that have not been previously regulated, such as the antiquities market. It yeah. puts uh, more controls around uh, real estate uh, purchases and uh, trust accounts, uh, shielding uh, both names, amounts, and anonymous shell corporations. And in addition to the changes directly in the financial institutions and other industries that are uh, specifically enumerated in uh, the uh, the new law, I think people in the greater anti-bribery and a corruption compliance world and even the trade sanctions world will start to see the need for more robust due diligence around uh, second, third, fourth, fifth parties uh, all the way down the chain and a much more robust uh, due diligence around uh, finding out who the ultimate beneficials of corporations are. That information is now going to be listed with banks. It's going to be a part of the government registry and so it's going to be interesting to see how that information is shared and what the regulations are for industries outside uh, financial institutions, et cetera. Yeah, I am very intrigued to see how this evolves over time. And I understand that the registry of shell company owners is not going to be public. Uh, I would say that it's not going to be public as of right now, but get back to me in five years and let's see if it's still not public. Um, There have been instances in Europe where they have started these shell company registrations that began as non-public enforcement only registries that eventually they became public documents or public registries. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens at some point in the future, not March, more like by 2025 or 2028, but I wouldn't be surprised if it happened. And then, yes, if law enforcement has better insight into who these sketchy people are who own the shell companies... How will that color your calculus as a company performing due diligence, knowing I know that the regulators out there might have a better way of figuring this out? How am I supposed to respond to that? What if I do a you know, a half-assed job, but the regulators already know all of this? They're quickly going to deduce I have a half-assed due diligence program, and that's not going to do me any favors if this blows up into an enforcement action. I wonder if there are going to be those kind of fact patterns and pressures coming to bear, like I said, not immediately, but over time. And I just I think that AMLA is a great step forward, but it's going to have reverberations and repercussions. And I'm curious to see what those are. And Matt, uh, I was intrigued by you starting your list with one of the biggest stories of 2020, uh, which was around uh, the working situation and in 2020, it was work from home. In 2021, it's return to work. Uh, where do you see, or I guess, what are two or three of the biggest either pinch points, pain points, or issues that a compliance practitioner needs to look at and be aware of around returning to work? I, I think that deciding how you handle the vaccination policy is going to be one of the most difficult challenges we have. Um, okay, so at least in the United States, you can require employees to get vaccinated to return to work. Um, that is settled law. It's perfectly clear that you could do it. The question is whether you will want to do it or if you want to do it for some but not others, 
How is that going to work? And there are corporate culture issues there that will some people feel aggrieved that I'm getting dragged to have a shot in my arm that I don't want. That's dumb. You should get the vaccine. But I'm getting dragged to do a vaccine that I don't want and then go back to a job that I would rather work from home. But so-and-so in the accounting or compliance department, they don't have to go into work. How is that fair? I'm going to call the hotline. I'm going to demand an investigation. I'm going to go on social media. I have no idea how we would address those in a holistic corporate culture way, but we are fooling ourselves if we don't think those problems, like they're going to arise. Uh, the other big issue, I think, with return to work is how are you going to reassess and perhaps reverse any policy changes that you made during the COVID crisis? Not anything to do with vaccines, but for example, restrictions on business travel. When are you going to let people start to go to other parts of the world? Um, are you going to require them to get vaccines? What if the country says you can't come in unless you get a vaccine, but your employee doesn't want to get one or hasn't been able to get one yet? Um, what about workplace safety? When are you going to repeal your mask mandate? If you have one, you should have one. Um, that kind of thing. Uh, I think that I'm fascinated by how the school systems are trying to figure this out right now. They're a great example of how difficult this can be that a lot of teachers don't want to go into the schools unless it's safe. I agree with that, but what is safe? And can the district then demand that the teachers get vaccinated? Is that going to be a union issue? This is where everybody who deals with works councils in Europe suddenly says, oh my God, what if vaccines are going to be a union works council thing over there? Like how much mess can we have? We're going to have a lot. But think of all the changes that we did on the fly last year. I am hoping we have some better sense of how to reverse or reassess those changes in a more thoughtful and forward-looking, anticipatory way this year. But my fingers are crossed. We could still try and do it really smartly and still fall flat on our face. And of course, the government has already managed to screw up the vaccine program that they were supposed to rule out. And Lord knows when we're actually going to get this Anyways, we all thought we'd be back to work by June. Maybe it's going to be September. Who knows? Well, Matt, you promised us uh, early on with a teaser that you had a bonus for us. Yeah. So here's my other one is, are we going to have a live in-person compliance conference this year? When do we get to see each other this year? I think that is the most close to my heart compliance issue that I am watching. Um, I have been watching all of the event listings out there. And right now, the first significant compliance conference for 2021 that is still apparently listed as happening in person is the SCCE Higher Education Compliance Conference that is going to be in Irvine, California in June, assuming this all happens. Even if that doesn't happen, and I hope it does, I really, I wish SCCE or any other organization, I wish you all the best success. And if you have an event that's going to be live, let me know. Um, but if that doesn't happen, I think the next big one would be the SCCE annual conference, which is going to be in Las Vegas in September. If we're all vaccinated, if we all have permission to go to travel to conferences, if enough people still have jobs, if it is still financially lucrative for SCCE to post, um, they are very bullish on the idea that they will be able to host a conference this year. I Like I said before, I wish them the best. I don't know who's going to be able to do it, but I, like I said before, like I said in my post, if the, the event is happening, if I am vaccinated, if I can travel, 
I will be there. You can look for me. I'll be the one standing up on the table cheering as we all come marching in because we did it. But that's really what I want to see is if we'll ever get to meet again sometime in 2021. Well, Matt, it's been a ton of fun to do our first uh, video podcast. Hopefully all the tech worked and we'll find out. So till next week. Thank you, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance in the Weeds. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. Also, check out the show notes where I have additional resources available in forms of blog posts written by Matt or myself. I hope you'll join Matt and I again next week where we take another deep dive, literally going into the compliance weeds. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. We look forward to visiting with you again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>